rush again. Fields to the end zone. Moore. Touchdown. Gain to steal. Breakaway. Moving in. Shooting and scoring. Lane Peterson. And Edmonton regains the lead 3-2. And that's a big goal for a guy with a spot on the roster on the line. Boom, Harper. Castellanos, the base runners. Infielders in at the corners. And Scott drives one to right. That's deep. That is gone. A grand slam for Scott. Sports Radio is back in the Edmonton area. This is Sports 1440 and the Kevin Carrius Show. Here we go. Uh, good morning. It's Friday. Time to tear up the old pea patch clicker into Schnell and make a fast break to the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, Kevin Carrius, along with Eddie Steele, he's kind of looking at me funny. Uh, come again now? <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I just thought of that, uh, and I don't know why I haven't been doing it on the Fridays. I used to do that when I was working at uh, in TV at Global and ITV. When we did the half an hour show on Friday nights, that was my line at the end of the night, and I said to the midnight hour, because I was racing out of there to get to O'Burns oh, oh, or Devlin's or somewhere <laughs> on White Ave. So I kind of said that every Friday, and I thought, you know what, let's kind of resurrect it for, for Fridays here with you, Eddie, and uh, to kind of get off with the weekend here. So Well, it is a feel-good Friday. A little bit chilly out, but I feel good. The energy is good, and your energy is good, yeah. and everybody's ready to go. Well, that, that part of that line, um, uh, tear up the old pea patch, that was a line from an old, old broadcaster, old baseball guy, Red Barber who did baseball games years, and we're talking like a long time ago. So I kind of stole that line from him, and I stole one other line from a, an old buddy I played hockey with. So, well, here we go. So, uh, yeah, you said a little chilly. It was a little nippy uh, getting into the studio today. The um, mornings, it's you feel it coming. But a nice weekend. We're looking at, man, 20 degrees plus for the uh, Thanksgiving Day weekend. And it kicks off tonight with the uh, Oilers playing their final preseason game. Uh, finally can get on to the regular season. And, I mean, we've talked about the storylines all camp, and it kind of gets tiresome, to be honest with you. Um, in my mind, there's really only a couple of main concerns, and that's the health of Matthias Ekholm. And Ryan McLeod skated yesterday, so he'll be good to go, it looks like, uh, next Wednesday when the Oilers open things up against Vancouver in Vancouver. And then the starting goaltender, which... It, Technically, is it that big of a deal who starts on opening night? It could be. Maybe it's confidence. Maybe it tells the team that it's uh, mm-hmm. your guy. So uh, hard to say in that sense, but uh, we'll talk a little more hockey uh, as the uh, morning progresses. Last night, the NFL Thursday nighter was a bit of a, a crazy game. Uh, Dick Butkus passes away, and then they announced that. And uh, the Duke of Delburn sent out some things about, you know, that the Bears drew from that. Did you see that last night, Eddie? That, that Did the Chicago Bears, the fans, the franchise kind of go, let's one, one, win one for Dick? Uh, yeah, you could kind of feel that they had a, a purpose to their game last night. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet, the announcer, he even mentioned uh, that you could feel that the Bears, I think, were just they're angry, playing angry and tired of losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, combine that with Dick Buckus and what they were trying to do in terms of um, commemorate him and play for him. I think they came out and played inspired football for once. For once, yeah. It was almost a full year in between wins for Chicago. 347 days. Text line is open. one 401 
1440, Northside Norm checks in. That show intro is gold. Puts a smile on my face five days a week. Thanks for listening, Northside Norm. Uh, tonight, a couple of big games in the CFL. The big, big one out west before we get to the Elks in Toronto. But boy, Winnipeg and BC, both teams 11-4. and four. Uh, This is just a, a, a game where you, you kind of look at the schedule and you go, can these two teams be like 11-4 and four going in? And you just get that feeling that this is, you know, it's a playoff type game tonight. Kevin, honestly, this is what you call an old fashioned slobber knocker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I-, I can't wait. This is going to be some fun football tonight. And, uh, you know, me being a former defensive lineman, I really want to key in and tune into the game uh, within the trenches because mm-hmm. last time out, uh, BC uh, be really beat up on Winnipeg's offensive line. Sorry, two games out because the following game, Winnipeg really took it to BC. So that's the matchup I really want to focus on because that's Winnipeg's bread and butter is their O-line and their run game. What do you think the atmosphere will be like tonight in BC? I mean, we've seen uh, the crowds in the years past, not that great, but in the last year or two, they've really increased. What's it going to be like in there tonight? I think it's going to be pretty electric. I was reading that they actually opened up the upper oh. portion of the stadium and started selling tickets up there because they had already sold out the lower bowl. So I think it's going to be a big-time, rowdy atmosphere tonight. Uh, Kevin Carey, Eddie Steele, Sports 1440, 7.05 in the Capital Region. So the Elks in Toronto, tough task. I mean, having said that, uh, man, I can't remember a team this early putting it on, you know, rest and make sure every player is in perfect condition going to the playoffs. But that's where the Argos are. So, I mean, that never happened to you. You were always fighting tooth and nail to get in. Cruise control. But a little tidbit that people might forget, back in 2015 when we won the Grey Cup here in Edmonton, uh, the CFL schedule makers did us the amazing favor of giving us a bye in week two to start the season. And then our second bye was the last week of the season. So we had to play 17 You're straight games. You're not being games. facetious there, are you? <laughs> 17 straight games of ball. But we had first locked up. So we had the bye week. And mm-hmm. then we had another bye because we had the first round bye of the playoffs. And then we had to come in and play one home game to get to the Grey Cup. We were fresh as daisies. Mm, yeah. That makes a big difference, to, uh, especially like if you look at the Argos. I mean, uh, well, they've already been resting the quarterback. Um, they've already been kind of rotating more guys in mm-hmm. and out. Um, so I'm they're, for it. I'm totally yeah, for it. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be fresh. So, And again, they've got the bye already. Uh, who's their tougher opponent out east, do you think? Uh, probably Montreal. Yeah. Montreal. Even though Hamilton's coming on a yeah, little bit, Yeah, but Montreal has played more consistent ball this year, and the thing that Montreal really has going for them, they have two X factors. They have mm-hmm. a really good defense, one of the better defenses in the CFL, and they have William Stanback, their running back, and he can pound the rock. Come playoffs, mm-hmm. if you can pound the rock, especially in the outdoor cold weather, not that it gets that cold out east, yeah. but still, it bodes well for playoff ball. Uh, Ed Hervey, not going to be happy with you in Hamilton. <laughs> love uh, you, Ed. Yeah, love you, man. Um, so as far as the Elks are concerned going into this one, how do they prepare this week? What would they have done going in? They go, oh, we're playing the, the top team out east, and we've turned it around a little bit, obviously, since the 0-9 start. But what, what's their, their game plan, their preparation uh, heading into this week uh, going into tonight's game in Toronto? Uh, in terms of prep, I mean, you got to shut down Toronto's run game because that's been a focal point. But I think the mentality, just to give a little bit of insight to the listeners, uh, when you're all but out of the playoffs, I know mathematically there's still a slim mm-hmm. shot. And look, I'm hoping for a playoff opportunity here too, but 
this team, these guys, they're playing for their jobs now for next year. And yeah. I know Coach Jones and the competitive nature of how he approaches things. And uh, these guys, they're really, I wouldn't say walking on eggshells, mm-hmm. but they are absolutely needing to play for the job security next year because this year is essentially a wash. And next year, there's been some energy this year. They've gotten some life. Next year, they're going to want to come into the season with that and continue the momentum. And I think, guys, they're going to really thin out the herd in terms of who they're going to bring in next year. And these last few games will show that, who they're going to who they're going to thin. Carry a steal, Sports 1440 in Edmonton. So how many, how much of a, uh, like a concept of the playbook would you be instituting this year in the final three, four games, uh, plays, uh, whatever you want to call it, that you will carry over to next year? Or would that be totally new next year because you're going to have new personnel? But would you, I don't know, kind of institute something? implement something in these final few games? I don't think they're going to do too much in terms of implementing and adding. You might see some more wrinkles, um, some more fun type plays, especially offensively because there is uh, really less to play for because mm-hmm. you're not in the dance. But at the same time, I think with Coach Jones's mentality, he's going to want to see you know the offensive linemen finish their blocks, get four or five yards on first down, the fundamentals, and instill those mm-hmm. fundamentals and that foundation so you can hit the ground running next year. Uh, we touched on it a lot on Monday uh, because on Sunday, George Reed passed away. Mm. And you got to know him a little bit when you were in, in Saskatchewan. Yep. Can you kind of share those stories with Absolutely. us? Absolutely. Met uh, the legend a few times. He would come around the uh, the facility and he'd come onto the field and chat with us at practice here and there sometimes. And uh, yeah. I was telling you off air one little, <laughs> <laughs> one little story about George. I uh, It was 2017. I was a captain that year for the Riders. And uh, he came to us uh, and spoke to us on the field after a practice and you know, I I didn't realize, you know, he, he he was older and you got a lot of miles of football and he he was a frail guy. The body was a little more fragile and he was breaking us down in the on the field after practice talking to us and I went up to him cuz I I was a captain so the captains went up had to introduce themselves and gave him a little bit of a hug but it might have been a little too big of a bear <laughs> hug and kind of knocked him over a bit he stumbled back and he was looking at me wide-eyed and it was all love it was mm-hmm. a really funny thing the team was laughing but I just came in a little too aggressive didn't realize <laughs> how, my own strength I guess <laughs> well I mean between George Reed and Ronnie Lancaster you know, they're basically gods in Saskatchewan. You know, going back to, you know, into the 60s, George Reed came in and, you know, in 63. And I think my, as I was saying on Monday, my first recollection of, of Ryder football growing up in Saskatchewan was the year after George Reed uh, retired. It was in 1976 when the Riders lost to the Ottawa Rough Riders mm. uh, in the Great Cup. And Tony Gabriel made that catch in the end zone, you know, in the dying minutes or whatever. Um, but I still remember everyone talking about the great George Reed as a kid because I was just a tiny bit too young to remember him watching him. Right. Uh, I'm sure I did watch him, but, I, you know, my dad always used to say his legs just kept churning and churning and churning, and uh, like all the great running backs do, but he was one of the first ones. So, like, when you were when you were in Saskatchewan, you must have just kind of heard the legend and, and everything about how much he meant to the province and things like that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, just being a Canadian kid growing up with the awareness of 
the CFL. Yeah. You're aware of how important he has been and what he still was up until his passing for that province. Just a legendary name, a legendary presence. And if you look at his numbers, Kev, it's it's remarkable. Yeah. He was he was good for 1,210 touchdowns <laughs> every season. He was just automatic. 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 Uh, speaking of automatic... Uh, our first guest uh, with us, Eddie, is uh, Daniel Nestor coming up uh, at 7.20. Man, this guy's done it all on the Canadian tennis court in, in doubles, and he was in town yesterday for uh, the opening of the uh, Savills Tennis Center. Mm. Uh, man, I mean, Bruce Savile comes through again uh, with his philanthropy in town, but uh, Daniel Nestor will guest with us at 7.20. Do you play tennis at all? Or I mean, I, I dabbled. I, you yeah. know, I, we, we talked about my pickleball capabilities <laughs> a few weeks ago, so of course I yeah, could swing yeah. a racket. Uh, Mark Spector uh, from Rogers Sportsnet on the mark for Booster Juice at 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll check in with Jordan Hall from NBC Sports Philadelphia. Man, we got Philly covered, eh, Duke? Like, if it's not Frank Saravalli on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, we've They're got, fortunate, though. Philly's got it going with oh, sports right now. I mean, that's the place to be. Like the, Frank said place. yesterday, Frank said best sports city in North America. Yep. Uh, and you can't argue with them. No. Nope. I mean, you can't. No, you can't. Uh, nine o'clock. We have two guests, and I thought Eddie might even want to just stick around, just in you know for another couple hours. I'm sure you got nothing to do, Eddie. <laughs> uh, at nine o'clock, Tyson Nash from uh, the Arizona Coyotes, uh, uh, color analyst, um, and I mean this is a local guy. Uh, played his uh, minor hockey in Sherwood Park, and I mean he is a colorful analyst, and he he dresses up in these crazy Christmas sweaters and costumes and um, plus he's had to hang around hang around Jason Strudwick with for a lot of years played yeah. with him in in Kamloops that rubbed off on him well I, I don't know if it was any good but um, at uh, 10 o'clock real cool uh, guest that's coming in the studio Marco Arope world champion in the 800 meters uh, been doing stories with Marco and his coach his, he's got a few coaches one of them is Ronnie Thompson from Edmonton so Marco and Ron will join us in studio uh, talk about his um, 800 meter championship in Budapest um, best in the world I mean we got world champs, Olympic champs. I mean, it's just unreal. And then again, maybe I don't. You can stick around for all, for all of it, Eddie. Uh, Matt Dunnigan, uh, one of uh, I think this is going to be one of the best guests we've had too. Again, yeah, I he mean, brings the energy he, always. And you know what? We talked about it last because he was going to come in last week and then had some flight changes and things like that. You and I said, well, I can't wait to talk to him about Road Grill. Road Grill. <laughs> talk about his special seasonings. <laughs> But, I mean, if you don't remember, uh, the Duke, Matt Dunnigan had, uh, we're going to have two Dukes today. Yeah, look at that. Uh, Matt Dunnigan had an old show on the Food Network called Road Grill. And he would go from grill to grill and he would, you know, and we said too, he, he was borrowing uh, Gizmo's t-shirts. <laughs> the uh, Gizmo's golf shirts. Yeah. I mean, just busting out. <laughs> and he's talking about, you know, oh man, look at this. You know, you just cook these pork chops till whatever. So uh, yeah, that's going to be good. Fun. It was good. Yeah, it was good. He, he's, he's a lot of fun. And, and of course, you got to start here. He got his start in Edmonton and uh, became, well, the quarterback that he ended up to be. You know, you, you think about in 1991. Mm-hmm. That, was, that, was a, that was a season that I think CFL fans will always remember because of, you know, you got Wayne Gretzky, John Candy, Rocket, yeah. Ishmael in, in Toronto. So much hype. Yes. Yeah, you know, so much going on. And Dunnigan, I mean, you look at his career; he had a heck of oh, a career, man. He well, the, really. I did. mean, the game against Edmonton, seven hundred fourteen yards. Right. I mean, 
That's a that's a season for guys in the NFL. Yeah, that's nuts. I, I remember those stats. That's so crazy. And just airing it out, bomb after bomb. Bomb after bomb after bomb. Uh, all right, so when we come back, we will check in with uh, Canadian tennis legend Daniel Nestor on Carries and Steel Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time for our headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Rooter. They are sports fans like all our listeners and are pumped that Sports Talk Radio is back. For all your plumbing needs, you can go to mrrooter.ca as we welcome in Canadian tennis legend Daniel Nestor to the program. Uh, Daniel, you're with uh, Kevin Carius, uh, Eddie Steele. Welcome to Sports 1440. Uh, how are you this morning? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being with us. Uh, what was it like to be uh, at the um, unveiling, I guess you could say, of the Savile Tennis Center in uh, Edmonton yesterday? Yeah, it was fun to be there. The The bubble is state-of-the-art. It's uh, one of the most impressive uh, ones I've seen, and uh, I think uh, the Edmonton tennis community, sports community, should be uh, pretty grateful for having such a, a great venue. Yeah, for sure. No question about that. Um what have you seen the growth in tennis uh, since you kind of got into it and then moving forward to where it is now? Uh, how much of a growth uh, have you seen in this sport in our country? Tremendous. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think when things started maybe to change from a mindset of uh, people being a little more health conscious, uh, I think that helped tennis a lot. And then uh, once uh, I think Milos uh, broke through in, in singles and started being consistent uh, in the top 10, top 20, and uh, you know vying for major titles. Uh, that really kind of changed the the mindset for the sport in Canada. And uh, you know I I noticed from a junior participation standpoint, just uh, having my girls uh, uh, participate in in some of these provincial tournaments, how popular they, popular they are, as opposed to when I was a kid. Uh, Especially on the girls' side, it seems like they're, it's it's probably the most popular sport now for for young girls and uh, boys. It's it was it's much more competitive now too. Morning, Daniel. This is Eddie Steele here speaking. Uh, I just wanted to touch on you. You mentioned about how your girls are playing in different tournaments and how the game has grown from when you were growing up. Can you just take our listeners back to as you were growing up playing? Um, maybe just kind of fill us in on your career and when you started playing and how you got into tennis. Well, I got into it by chance. Uh, we moved to Canada from Serbia when I was uh, four, and we live in an apartment building uh, ne- right next to a uh, public court. And uh, so eventually I got involved. Uh, the sport was pretty popular in the in the 70s when, uh, when I uh, got interested in it. It was uh, a golden era of, of tennis with McEnroe, Borg, Connors. Uh, it was it was quite popular, and then I think it went through a lull after that for a while, and uh, especially in the 90s. And and uh, from my standpoint, I, I started when I was eight, and I played other sports, uh, which helped me, like soccer and basketball, helped my movement on the court and, and hand-eye coordination, and so that helped me a lot. And and uh, just from participating in, in some of these tournaments, these junior tournaments, I, you know, boys tennis was was pretty popular, but mm-hmm. not not what it is now. But I just remember the girls' uh, participation, the draw sizes. You know, if they had a draw size that could fill 16 or 32 girls, there might only be like six to eight girls playing. And uh, so I, I just compare it to now where it's like, that draw is full plus there's 30 40 girls that are on the wait list that want to play and and this is weekly and uh you know there's so many tournaments now and 
it's just a great time for, for Canadian tennis. Daniel Nestor is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with co-host Eddie Steele on Sports uh, 1440. Text comes in one 1440 Carling Bassett, another great uh, uh, tennis player from back in the era, for sure. We're, uh, we're, we're Borg and McEnroe, kind of your idols, heroes, and the, the guys you watched the most growing up? I was a huge Jimmy Connors fan, but oh, okay. uh, I, I mean, I, I guess maybe opposites attract. I, I, I was <laughs> the most opposite uh, yeah. personality you could find for him. I mean, he was so, uh, you know, exciting for the fans and outgoing and, and really showed his emotions. And I was more of an introvert and just <laughs> keeping everything inside. But I, I really I thought he made tennis so, so fun to watch. And uh, especially with his, his uh, battles with McEnroe and their, their, different uh, contrasting personalities but uh yeah the, the way he got the crowd going in new york uh, was was fun to watch would you say that when he was playing in new york he was the best ever because just because he fed off that new york crowd yeah i mean i've never seen a crowd that into a, a player yeah. or, or tennis as they are in new york when he played i mean it was like a a football uh, atmosphere when he when he was on the court and you know that's just that's not your typical tennis mm-hmm. crowd so that's why it was it was fun to watch. Daniel, I got to ask, you've won every Grand Slam in the doubles. What was your favorite Grand Slam tournament to play in? I always like Wimbledon, uh, just from a traditional standpoint. I like playing on grass. It was much different than what we were accustomed to, and for my game, it was it was fun. To, to play on it and uh, just special memories in London. Uh, I would was able to take my family there because school would end, and so it was a time where we could uh, you know be together. Uh, and also, just the city is amazing. It's amazing mm-hmm. to to just walk the streets and see all the different uh, neighborhoods. It's, uh, it's truly a special place. Uh, eight doubles, four mixed doubles, Grand Slam titles, ninety-one men's doubles. I think, if I'm correct on that, in total. Um, what was it about the doubles game that made you excel at this game? I yeah, my skill set was always catered more towards doubles. Even though even when I was playing singles on tour, my first ten years, I was more focused on singles. I was just better at doubles. Uh, you know, I, I liked playing at the net. I had good good hands around the net and had mm-hmm. a good serve, and and was pretty aggressive when I played. Like if I played singles, I was. I had a plan A and that was it. If, if it was working well, which was just to be aggressive, try to come into the net and finish points uh, quickly. And if it was working, I was a good dangerous player. If it wasn't working, there was no backup and I, I was pretty miserable. So, uh, you know, that, that translated well to, to doubles, which is uh, a lot of net play and a lot of, uh, you know, going for your shots and, and angles and, and good hands around the net. So, uh, I think uh, it was just an easy transition for me to make. Plus, uh, a lot of the Canadians uh, in my era or just before were were excelling in doubles, so it uh, it, it kind of opened my eyes to other opportunities. Speaking with Daniel Nestor on Sports fourteen forty, um, over the course of your career, did you have a, a favorite doubles partner or a favorite mixed partner? I know you, it's like the you know you love all your kids the same, but I mean, uh, <laughs> is there is there one that one that stick out to you in uh, each discipline? Well, I like playing with Vashek a lot, just uh, the, for the Canadian aspect. Uh, later in my career, and you know, I really appreciated the, all the opportunities I got to play in Davis Cup, and and uh, so he was. Uh, we, we got along pretty well, and so we had a lot of fun playing together and, and representing Canada. And uh, from a mixed double standpoint, uh, probably my last 
most successful partner was uh, Kristina Miladinovic, who was a Serbian background like myself. So we we had that bond, and uh, and she was aggressive, uh, an aggressive player, which made my life easier. And uh, so we we had instantaneous success, and we played well together. <laughs> now, Daniel, uh, just coming to the moment now, are you involved in the present now with your your girls and coaching, or involved in tennis in any aspect now? I am, uh, you know, it's not the, the healthiest environment being on the court with your kids. So I try to uh, pass them off to, to some other, uh, some other good coaches in the city, but, uh, yeah, yeah. With tennis Canada, it's, uh, on, there's, uh, different, uh, things that we do throughout the year and, and sometimes going to different clubs around the country and, and, you know, especially Toronto doing clinics and this and that, but, uh, also just enjoying being in, in one place and, and not, uh, living out of a suitcase I really enjoy that and living a simple life and, and not worrying about uh, yes. getting on a plane again so I, I enjoy that aspect of uh, retirement for sure so how tough how difficult is it for you to separate being the father coach with your kids it's uh, not not it's, it's very sorry very difficult very, okay, uh, I, yeah yeah it's uh, I mean I just it's hard for me mm-hmm. to to just sit there and be patient if we're on the court and, and if I notice that they're not doing something well to just let it slide. So right. I don't know how other parents do it, but I, it's <laughs> tough. I can't. So yeah. Maybe it's a Serbian thing. <laughs> I have a hard time with it. No, it's tough. There's no question about it. Uh, Daniel Nestor is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with co-host uh, Eddie Steele on Sports 1440. 7.30 in the uh, Capital Region. So, I mean, your career speaks for itself. Uh, now you've been, uh, you'll be nominated for induction into the uh, International Tennis Hall of Fame. So you go on the ballot next year. How much does this mean to you? I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I don't take myself seriously. It's a great honor for sure. to just even be uh, considered for that. I never even thought that was possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's nice to, to be, you know, part of it. Uh, it's not going to be the end of the world for me. Uh, like this is my second time on the ballot. I didn't okay. get it last year. There's a maximum three years. So, you know, hopefully in the next couple of years it happens. If it doesn't, no big deal. I mean, it's not something I, I stress over and, uh, and, you know, it's just and try and enjoy life and, and not worry about things I can't control. Yeah, great outlook. Great outlook for sure. So um, 2000 Olympics in uh, Sydney. Um, can you speak of that highlight of your career? Yeah, it was uh, tremendous. Uh, I was playing with uh, Sebastian Leroux, and we always for we didn't play that much together. We committed to that year, and in, in the previous years, we played a little bit. When we, when we did play together, we always played well. And he was notorious as having the best returns in the game, especially in doubles, and he was a very good doubles player. And you know, we had a tough loss at the U.S. Open. Uh, a couple of weeks before and I wasn't happy with the way I played and I just really I was working with a sports psychologist and I just really committed to playing a certain way during that tournament and and, and that you know working with a sports psychologist really helped my, mm-hmm. my the mental side of my game and which really once I did it I started having more consistent results and so everything just you know seemed to, to fall into place and I was just going for it and, uh, and you know we we won, and it was, uh, you know, it wasn't a great year for for Canadian representation at the Olympics as far as medal. So it was kind of a big deal, and uh, and something that uh, you know people appreciate. Yeah, not just tennis people, but uh, sports people around uh, the country. So it was uh, it was really fun to be part mm-hmm. of. I always love 
playing for Canada and the team aspect and being part of a team. So it was, uh, it was a remarkable experience for sure. Hey, uh, Daniel, on Mondays, Lorianne Munzer's our co-host here. She was in Sydney in 2000 uh, maybe you bumped into her then then she won Olympic gold in cycling uh, in 2004 four years later in Greece so now she's a mindset coach in um, Edmonton you mentioned the sports psychology aspect and and how that helped you um, I'm sure Lorianne is probably listening right now and saying ask him this ask him this I wish I could be there to ask him this question but um, where did that all come together for you and how did it help you kind of complete your journey to be a, a top-notch uh, tennis superstar? Well, I mean, I just wasn't happy with my, my inconsistency on the court and just the way I was thinking in, in matches. And, uh, and so I, I just committed to it. And, it, you know, it's, it's not like something that, uh, you know, it's just because you start doing it, you have to work at it. And it's not like, you know, something that, that you can perfect. It's, it's just a, it's a daily battle. And, uh, but just something that you need to be aware of and, and take seriously. And, and I mean, you've, you've heard all the all the you know gimmicks regarding it before, as far as staying in the process and, and this and that. I mean, it's it's easy to say this stuff, but once you know you're in the moment and you know those you're, you're fighting, you know sometimes those thoughts of of you know winning and losing and or things bothering you, and you just have to. The ideal mental state is, is just to immediately let things go after they've happened and, and refocus and. And uh, just get ready to play the next point. And, and again, it's it, uh, this stuff is none of this stuff is is things that no one has heard before. Yeah. It's just it's a matter of practicing it and, and perfecting it and and recognition and and uh, working at it. Mm-hmm. Now, Daniel, you you mentioned the growth of the tennis game, especially with the girls and uh, the youth. And we see this young superstars in the tennis right now. Uh, do you feel that Canadian tennis is at its best right now, better than it's ever been? Yeah, for sure. It's it's not even a, a question. I mean, we it feels like every year uh, something is is done that's extraordinary that's never been done before. I mean, last year was the Davis cup win, which is absolutely huge. And, and before that, Bianca won the U S open, you know, Felix, you know, got in the top 10, Dennis got in the top 10. I mean, it was, it was year after year this year, Gabby won the U S open in doubles. I mean, it's, it's year after. And then these guys that, uh, you know, were, were on the bench last year in, uh, in Davis cup, you know, the young guys that came through winning uh, their matches to qualify again for the finals. And, and it's, uh, it's, you know, truly a remarkable run, but it's just feeding off each other. I mean, you have like 10 athletes that are, that are, you know, up there at the highest levels, uh, maybe not 10, whatever the number Mm -hmm. is uh, on the women's and men's side. And and they feed off each other. I mean, they all Mm want to, you know, do well and, and, you know, try and maintain this, uh, this momentum that we have. And, and, uh, and I think we just need to keep that going. And, and what happened in Edmonton yesterday and, you know, the Tennis Canada Rogers partnership for building tennis communities and bubbles around the country is, uh, is so important. And uh, so I think, uh, you know, anytime those opportunities arise and, and uh, we, we, you know, we really need that in Canada with the weather, the weather we have, yeah. uh, you know, it's hard for kids to play yeah. and just all levels. I mean, people want to play tennis more and more. And, and so just having these opportunities uh, is just amazing for communities. Now, one last one for you, Daniel, just uh, what did playing in the, in the Davis cup mean to you? Uh, I was tremendous. Uh, just having that experience of, 
playing for a team. I mean, being a, a tennis player, you know, I, I played singles till I was 30 and that was my main thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit lonely. I mean, I, I, I think it made sense for me as a kid cause I was, you know, shy and, you know, wasn't really outgoing and, and that, you know, helped me uh, grow as a person. But, uh, um, you know, when you're just used to everything about you, you probably become a little bit spoiled and you probably, <laughs> you probably, uh, you know, need that social, more of that social aspect. So just being part of the, the Davis cup team, the Olympic team, whatever it was, it was so much fun to be a part of. And, you know, we had a great support mm-hmm. staff and, and, uh, so I was so fortunate to, to be part of that for so many years. Uh, well, thanks for coming on this morning, and and you know what? Thanks for coming to our city yesterday to kind of help open the the uh, Savile Tennis Center. I mean, it's a it's a facility that is going to get a lot of use uh, in our city for sure. Yeah, for sure, it's yeah. an amazing facility, and uh, so hopefully, uh, people get out there and enjoy the sport. All right, thanks very much for this, Daniel. Take care and good luck coaching your girls. Okay, thanks a lot. See you guys. All right, that's uh, Daniel Nestor, our headliner of the day for Mr. Reuter. Uh, there's a reason they call them Mr. For all your plumbing needs, you can go to mrreuter.ca. Uh, did you ever see the movie King Richard yet? Any? No, no. So that's the the story with Venus and Serena Williams right. with with Richard Williams, and I kind of thought of that movie when you know he was talking about the coaching his girls and i mean it's hard it is i mean it is you're he, gonna you're gonna go through it too here you well know? people always ask am i gonna get my son yeah. in football am i gonna coach my son well i just coached my son i was the head coach of u7 soccer <laughs> and <laughs> that might be it for this old fella <laughs> yeah u7 that's they're worried about the the treat or the snack oh, they get at halftime man. is that what it or after the they're game? worried about hitting each other playing tag uh swarm the ball that's what that is that's what u7 is swarm the ball. Uh, that movie's pretty good. I mean, you know, I think it's, um, well, it was supported by the Williams family. Yeah. They wouldn't have done the movie without um, uh, maybe the concept being, you know, quite true to what it was. I know, you know, not every movie is exactly how real right. life was, but I'm pretty sure that they uh, wouldn't have put their kind of names behind it. Endorsed it. Had they not kind of felt that this is how it was growing up what their dad meant to them and and things like that but yeah another duke there's your have we even got to the replacements yet duke no i said that was tomorrow's oh. tomorrow's plan as Ooh, i uh replacements yeah duke, duke hasn't Come seen on, the replacement <laughs> he hasn't seen the replacements yet <laughs> missing out duke <laughs> it's on the list i've i the list grows every day now i've got king richard on it which i've heard that movie is terrific yeah. of course a pretty recent one um and it's out there on some streaming services so there's there's lots of movies on my list and thankfully some colder weather around the corner where i'll be uh, bundled up inside more days than out uh, enjoying this nice weather that looks like we're gonna have this weekend so. well i mm. think what you got to do is stop taking these road trips across the province and coming back on monday dragging your ass around here that's what it is i think hey duty calls <laughs> duty calls duke we get it we get it uh, we'll talk some football and baseball when we come back on the kevin carey show with eddie Steele on sports 1440 all right, welcome back to the big program. Little Rolling Stones has uh, Fast Eddie Steele just jumping in the seat here. Oh, I'll say yeah. this. If you uh, if you don't want to hear us yap away, come <laughs> for the Duke's playlist on a Friday morning at the very least. So what is it about the Stone? Do you have a favorite Rolling Stones song? I think you said, was it... Uh, that one. That one is yeah, the number one? I thought and you one. said Painted Black too, right? You no, like that? No, th- that would be the number one. I mean, th- there's a few that get me going, yeah. but f- I don't know. Something about that just gets me going and just the vocals, man. Mm. Holy smokes. She so can that, really like, go. If you're playing ball and that's your going to the plate song? 
Yeah, you know what? It would be right now. I'm actually in a, a season where I'm, I'm jamming to it. I'll be on the treadmill <laughs> doing my cardio, and I'll, I'll play it about three times in my two-mile run. So a few things uh, resonated with you uh, when Daniel Nestor was talking about um, not just tennis, but sports, really, yeah. uh, you know, in our country. Absolutely. One of the biggest things, and I always say this, I, I do tons of coaching camps, clinics, speaking engagements, and I'm always asked about, you know, playing football. And again, like we talked about ta- uh, coaching kids and stuff. And one of the things I always tell people, mm-hmm. parents, kids, is play as many sports as possible. And I love how Daniel mentioned that uh, because he played multiple different sports and that helped him with his coordination. It helped him with his hand-eye. And I am such a firm believer in that the more you play, the more you develop your athleticism, the more you develop skills in different areas, uh, you get into more uncomfortable positions with your body. And that just makes you a more well-rounded athlete. I look at my career, for example, I was always very gifted. I could kind of go out and do anything without like a ton of practice and be okay at it. Not be good, but I could do it. Um, But you know, I golf, I play hockey, I play racquetball, I swim, uh, basketball, do it all. I literally grew up doing it all. And that's why I feel that I was able to be such an athletic defensive lineman. Wayne Gretzky, one of his great lines uh, for the great one, said when he was a kid mm. in April, if they even played that long, because April still a long ways back in the day when, when he was playing minor hockey and things like that, the equipment went in the basement mm-hmm. and they didn't bring it out again till September. Didn't touch it. Didn't touch it. Yeah. But he went and played baseball. Yep. Played lacrosse. Different things. And nowadays, I mean, uh, hate to pick on hockey, but you look at hockey and I, I know kids who are... 10, 11, 12, playing almost year-round, Kevin. Yeah. And that's not good. I, I I have a tough time with it as well. Um, I always asked, um, I'm not going to say who it was, because, but he was with the Oilers organization. I asked this question to him. Because after the players are drafted in June, the let's call it June 25th, they always have a development camp. Mm-hmm. And it's usually the the week after, and it's it's usually here, and they want to get the kids in, and they you know, but it's July long weekend. I said, what if you had a kid, okay, and he was your first round draft pick, but he was also going to be playing in a let's call it a a provincial baseball championship. Mm-hmm. What if that kid said, "I'm going to play baseball"? Does that tell you that he's not totally invested in hockey? Does yeah, it tell you that less committed? Less committed. Does it tell you that he's um, uh, more of a team guy? I want to win a team, a championship with this team. It's another sport. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't have an answer. Yeah. Because yeah. again, as you said, it's one hundred percent business right now. One hundred percent. If you're hockey, you're hockey. At that stage, like, and we're, you know, we're talking seventeen, eighteen year old kids, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. So he never had an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's a real thing. We we see it in live time right now. And uh, there is a cause and a case Mm -hmm. for burnout. You know, we hear about that. And actually, Daniel Nestor, he talked about a sports psychologist. I think throughout my career, there definitely could have been times where I could have used and benefited from a sports psychologist Mm -hmm. because there are highs, there are lows. And that burnout, especially at those younger ages, it is becoming more and more of a real thing. And we're hearing about it. Uh, Carrius Steele, Sports 1440, 748 in Edmonton. Did you ever feel burnout as a kid or maybe because you 
had all the different sports going for you. You didn't feel that way. You had that refreshing attitude all the time. Absolutely. I never felt burnout because I was always doing something different. Football season, basketball season, volleyball, track, literally doing it all. And then getting into high school was just amazing because uh, I wish I could go, go back and do more and participate in more sports because there's so many sports that they offer in high school. It's so incredible. So yeah, no, burnout was never a thing for me because I always changed it up, always did different things. And, you know, I love playing different sports. You know, you're getting old and your mind is not the way it used to be. When a name pops into your head, we were talking about it at break and now I'm going to just shout it out because just the way it was. I knew it happened. Rio Wells. Uh, so Rio Wells is uh, came to Edmonton as a DB. Never played hockey in his life before. Never did. Yeah. Then he started skating. Now you know he, now he, he plays. Play. Ho- now he plays hockey. Yeah, he can play some senior men's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. That's that's you know that's what makes me happy. A guy like that goes. You know, and I remember him when he, you know, when he was first trying out because you know, like you guys, uh, the Elks or double years back then had. The basketball team. You guys yes. would go around, right? Go around playing. So yeah. what was that like? Well, I, they actually disbanded that before oh. I got there, but I, I'm well aware, yeah, okay. the basketball team, and they would go and they – I actually played in a few games in Winnipeg against the cops and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You go and play charity games at schools and or against the school team. It's pretty awesome. Well, maybe the double E should bring that back. Yeah. Well, that's, they should, How man. How about that? Well, biggest thing is the community engagement, yeah. you yes. know, be out there. I know COVID changed some things, but – you know, now we are able to be back in schools and go and get involved in the community as much as you can. Uh, we're going to be having Aaron Grimes on with you in the mm-hmm. next couple of weeks. There's mm-hmm. like a lot of these guys that are current guys. Aaron Grimes is staying here now. Exactly. You know, a lot of former players are making Edmonton the year-round home. There's so many guys, even just from my days of playing with the team, that are now retired here and made Edmonton their home. And going back to what you were saying about, uh, I forget his name, who uh, can skate now. Rio Wells. Rio. I mean, you see that with Edmonton and why. I always ask why. I wonder why guys make Edmonton home and are so comfortable. Well, it's the people. It's the city. It's the vibe that you get in Edmonton. And I love that. It's But at the end of the day, it comes down to the people in the community and the fact that I have uh, probably a 15 former teammates who have retired and set their roots down out here. That's so telling. And it's all because of the people, the opportunity, and the relationships out here. Rio Wells, just to had to check him out again here. So he came here all the same time as I got here, you know, late 90s. Mm. And so, I mean, that was when all, like Ed Hervey and Singer Mobley, they all kind of came together. Donnie Brady, guys like that. So... Um, I just, I remember, I don't know what charity event it was. So here, here comes Rio Wells from my Louisiana, and now he's going to learn to skate. And, I mean, it was just so cool. It reminded me of, like, they had uh, years ago a uh, Minute Bowl trying yeah. to skate, you know. Yeah, I and here's Minute Bowl, like seven foot yeah, small, on the you know. <laughs> and, and Rio Wells was the same. And then, like, it took him a little while, but, you know, he picked it up. That athleticism, it's yeah. there. It's there. It was cool for sure. Uh, let's talk a little baseball for a couple minutes. Yeah. So the playoffs technically with two days off because of the sweeps, get things underway tomorrow. I think a lot of people are really keying on Phillies and Braves, but I mean, maybe the twins are a team of destiny. 
after losing 18 straight, they have their hands full with Houston. Uh, Norman, a combine, wants to know if uh, if uh, the Astros have the bats to take down the Twins. Well, obviously they have the bats. They got the bats. They got Twins the- have the pitching. Twins have some good pitching, but now, I mean, Houston with, I mean, Justin Verlander's basically come in and settled the staff down. They've got some younger guys that probably won't see the light of day, like Hunter Brown and guys like that that faltered as the year went on. But um, Houston has a very good chance to go back. Yeah. Uh, They have a, you know, having said that, the other series is going to be the one to watch. Baltimore, and I, I heard that this stat this morning, Baltimore has not lost a series dating back to when Adley Rutschman was called up, the catcher. So he's called up 91 consecutive series they have not lost. Did you know that, Duke? Uh, clar- just a clarification, oh. I'm aware of that. Have not been swept. Swept, So Sorry. in any series yes, of two games or longer, they have not okay. lost mm. um, all games of a series since Adley Rutschman joined the team full-time at, at the start of last season. That's yeah. why he's here? That's why he's swept. here? Swept. So two, ser- two games or longer. It's amazing what they've done. Uh, so they, they, I mean, and they're, they're, I think when you look at their, they have the bullpen there. Yeah. Um, Texas bullpen is not as good as, as where Baltimore is right now. So um, very interesting. I, I'm sure. pumped. You mentioned Phillies. I, I'm mm-hmm. on the Philly train. I'm pumped. Well, we're going to talk to uh, Jordan Hall from Philadelphia at 820. Uh, just a texter sent in, J-Dog, Matt Dunnigan. Is he on the show? Yes, he'll be on at 1020. Uh, so Matt Dunnigan will join us at 1020. Uh, coming up at the top of the hour will be Mark Spector. Mark Spector from Rogers Sportsnet on the mark for Booster Juice. Before that, we uh, will check in with a Sports 1440 update brought to you by First Round. You can watch NFL football at First Round Monday, Thursdays, and Sundays. You can win a trip to watch your favorite team next year. Here is the Duke.